I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Today, we are talking about the recent legislative session, which has, by all accounts, been fairly brutal toward the LGBTQ plus population. I believe in terms of numbers, it is actually like numerically the worst legislative session history, basically. I think so. (laughs) I think it was like the number of bills were more than like the past five sessions combined or something. Mm -hmm. 644 anti-LGBTQ bills. A lot of this legislative action has been driven by groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom and Mm. the Family Research Council. (laughs) Sienna, do you have thoughts on these groups? (laughs) Um, They're actually the worst and deserve no credibility and should go away. And they're actually listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center as hate groups. Speaking of groups that are listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center as hate groups and are in big support of all of these horrible homophobic, transphobic bills, the group Moms Defending Freedom actually recently had to apologize for literally quoting Hitler in their newsletter. Um, So, you know, if if you want to know what these groups are all about and why they're listed as hate groups, that is exactly why. I saw that. It was like, if you control the youth or something. He who controls the youth controls society or something like that. Yeah. Creepy. (laughs) Like, who? there is no universe in which you think it's a good idea to quote Hitler unless you're an actual Nazi. Yeah. Bad move. But it must speak to them. So these bills include curriculum censorship, sports bans, bathroom bills, and healthcare bans. I know you have paid attention to this stuff. Have you actually read the names of these bills? A couple of them. Usually it'll be like, wow, Tennessee drag ban, eh? Let's go check out what that says. And then I read through the text and I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah. I jotted down a couple of them. And these aren't ones that have been enacted. They've been introduced, but the names just sort of blew my mind. They're, it's so manipulative. Protecting Children from Experimentation Act is one of them, which proposes to fine or imprison physical or mental health care professionals who perform or provide referrals for gender transition procedures on minors. Experimentation. That was kind of crazy. And then this one was sponsored by Marco Rubio, not surprisingly. The Ensuring Military Readiness Act, which disqualifies transgender individuals who have sought or undergone gender transition from service and says that members of the armed forces who are diagnosed with gender dysphoria after entering the service can be retained only if they don't undergo transition procedures. So... Military readiness, I guess, means that if somebody's having a mental health crisis, we don't address it. And that will make them more ready. In I don't know. Math lady meme here. Um, I'm so confused. Military. What? Yeah. So <laughs> you, you see names like that. And like, if you're not following along or you're not that educated on, you know, websites where you can read the actual text of a bill. You're like, oh, good for him. The Ensuring Military Readiness Act. That sounds important. 
Yeah, that's actually like a really good point. A lot of times, and it can be, sometimes you'll get provisions that are buried in, you know, like, oh, an update to the tax code 302.a triple B and buried in there is, you know, something about religious freedom and allowing people to be discriminated against. And, you know, it's a lot of times the ones, the bills that are really obvious that get a lot of media attention, but because Republicans know that the majority of people in this country don't agree with them, they deliberately are burying discriminatory legislation under misleading titles and really innocuous sounding bills. Yeah, that actually leads me. I was going to talk about this a little later, but it's so relevant to what you just said. The Human Rights Campaign just released a memo that kind of summarizes some recent polling by different groups across all political parties. This wasn't their polling. They just like have compiled data from polling. I'll link to that. 64% of likely voters across all political parties. So it was 72% of Democrats, 65% of independents, and 55% of Republicans. So still a majority of Republicans think there is too much legislation aimed at limiting the rights of transgender and gay people in America. Slightly over half the population opposes bans on gender-affirming care. Almost 58% oppose laws on restricting drag shows in their states. And almost 60% of Americans think middle school libraries should include materials relating to gender identity and sexual orientation. These bills, like you just said, this is not the will of the majority of American people. These are unpopular sentiments that these bills are expressing. People, this polling shows, do not want their legislators spending all of this time attacking the rights of gay and transgender people. Yeah. yeah. Shockingly enough, most people have better things to worry about. Yes. I think that there are a lot of issues out there that would be better served. And it seems like, I guess that is good news. The majority of people understand that this is not something that needs to be legislated. But it definitely is a focus of certain politicians. Some of the bills that have been enacted are Arkansas House Bill 1468, which prohibits faculty members and employees of public schools or state-supported higher education institutions from using a person's preferred name or pronouns without parental consent. Iowa Senate File 496 which prohibits instruction related to gender identity or sexual orientation in grades K through 6. Kansas State Bill 12, which makes gender reassignment services, including providing puberty blockers to people under the age of 21, a punishable criminal offense. The infamous Tennessee State Bill 3, which is the drag ban. Florida HB 1521, criminalizing transgender people for using the bathroom matching their gender identity. Montana. State Bill 518, which allows students to misgender or forcibly out transgender and non-binary classmates. Just examples of things that have not just been introduced, but enacted. Obviously, there's some really harmful stuff for kids in there. And what you got to keep in mind also is that those examples are not just in those states, but also the way these kind of culture war bills tend to operate is they kind of proliferate. You know, you get one state that introduces like, oh, a drag ban. And then, you know, a year later, you got three states that are like, hey, that sounds like fun. I mean, that that is kind of a, a really good example of that, I think, is the 
sports bills, which originated in 2020, I believe, in Idaho. And, you know, it was like the Protecting Women's Sports Act or whatever. And that was the one state. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next legislative session, they're popping up all over the country. And they'll be essentially a copy and paste of that bill. And I remember when we went to Helena to testify against Montana's version of the sports bill, like there was the person who sponsored the bill, like the legislator who sponsored the bill from Idaho came came to Montana to be like, yeah, this is awesome. Do this. So yeah, it, it might come across as like, okay, whatever, one state's being like really out there. But the way these bills work is that they spread and they catch on because people see that it gets people worked up. Yeah. You get a reaction. Yay, they're doing something great. Or, you know, you get the satisfaction of owning the libs, which seems to be a strong driver. Incidentally, on sports bills, total aside, did you see that Lance Armstrong just weighed in on like, maybe it's not fair for transgender people to compete. Fair. Lance Armstrong (laughs) is weighing in on fair competition. Anyway, I just thought that was amusing. No, it's exactly, it's exactly like that Russian athlete who, you know, there was the whole drama over uh, Kastor Semenya, who, if if people aren't familiar, she is an African runner who people decided must be transgender because she had unusually high testosterone levels, as though that's not a thing that can just happen in cis women. And it's and... fairly common in women who are high-level athletes. Right. Oh, and another note, transphobia is also usually rooted in racism. So this Russian athlete goes, she's not a woman. Look at her because I don't know, she's tall and muscular. Like there's a long history of people saying that black women must be men actually because their shoulders are too broad or they're too tall or they're too muscular or their facial structure. I I don't know. Michelle Um, Obama. Yep. Michelle Obama is a really good example. Um, I think Serena Williams as well. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this then this Russian athlete like immediately afterwards was banned from competing because of doping. (laughs) Funny thing. The people squawking about fairness often are not the most upstanding competitors. The good news, I guess, in all of this is that more a lot more of these bills have failed to pass than have been enacted. Um, We've also seen a couple of them blocked in recent weeks. Last week, a federal judge struck down Arkansas's ban on gender-affirming care for children. A federal judge just temporarily blocked Florida's ban on drag performances. And a federal court just issued an injunction blocking an Indiana law prohibiting healthcare professionals from providing or referring transgender youth for healthcare as a lawsuit filed by the ACLU is pending. The system hopefully is working. You know, a lot of crazy stuff is coming up in legislative sessions and is not going through, is not being passed, is being voted down. And then even when some of these things are passed, there are legal challenges, which, again, is what a waste of everybody's time and resources to introduce legislation that you have to know is going to hit legal challenges. Right. Like when they write up a financial note for the bills, they always are like, so uh, we're probably going to have to defend this in court. But I mean, what's really heartbreaking about that, though, like it's great that, you know, judges are doing their job and being like, wow, this is a massive overreach of government power. This is a massive violation of non-discrimination laws. But what's heartbreaking is that because so many of these laws are targeting children, 
And because of the way the court system works, where you have to demonstrate that you as a person were directly harmed by a law, you're forcing children to, you know, go through this whole process of being discriminated against and then challenging it and being, you know, shoved into the public eye and having people attacking you and making fun of you and misgendering you and calling you slurs. And I mean, maybe, maybe it eventually gets overturned, which is awesome. But like children should not have to go through that just to freaking play on the soccer team or something. Yeah, agreed. That's a really good point. I was trying to find <laughs> silver lining. But <laughs> that's no, that's really important to remember. I mean, kids are really the collateral damage and all of this. And it just makes me think of that quote that I don't remember who it is, but is often used. The cruelty is the point, right? They know it's going to get overturned. They just are making a statement and hurting people in the process, which is very sad to watch. And, you know, so many of these bills relate to medical care. More than 30 professional medical associations have issued statements supporting health care for transgender people and youth. And these aren't like fringe groups. That's like every major medical association. I've linked to a list on our website, so you can look at it. But these bills are not consistent with medical best practices. Well, and not to mention, some of them will allow people who have already started treatments to continue them for a set amount of time, or but some of them, you know, force you to immediately stop the treatments, which you want to talk about protecting people's health? Like, what do you think that does to a child's body? Like going on, you know, puberty blockers or hormone therapy, and then just having to stop with like no, no plan in place, no, no respect for what their body's needs are. It's entirely manipulating their health and their bodies at the whims of lawmakers. Yeah, absolutely. It really is setting a lot of people up for mental health issues, which then, you know, will be used in bad faith as you have something to say. <laughs> I do. Here's here's an awesome setup they've got going. Transition is terrible. Look at all of these trans people who detransition. You forced them to detransition. You made it impossible for them to access healthcare. Right. Now they'll now they'll be like, look how many people detransition because they realized it was not a good idea. And they realized it was not a good idea because they didn't want their doctor or their parents to go to jail. Which, by the way, even now, people will cite like, oh, detransition numbers, which, by the way, are actually really low compared to, say, I don't know, knee replacement surgery regrets. Like every surgery and every medical procedure has a certain level of regret associated with it. You know, whether that's accurate or not, whether that's people being like, oh, I think this procedure caused this problem when there's not any medical backing for it. But every procedure has that risk of regret. And actually, gender-affirming treatment has, compared to a lot of other procedures, an incredibly low regret rate and detransition rate. And when you actually break down the reasons why people are detransitioning, there is a really big proportion of them that it's because they don't have social support. They can't financially cover the cost of transitioning. There's actually 
a lot of, you know, there has been litigation over whether health insurance companies have to cover gender affirming care, access to the sort of barrier breakers that you need to get to gender affirming health care in the first place, right? If you don't have access to a reliable affirming therapist, then you can't successfully medically transition. So if you look at people and assume, oh, every single one of these people is detransitioning because they realized they weren't actually trans, then that's one thing, although again, still a small number of people, but you actually take into account the reasons that it happens. And then all of a sudden, like it's it's an incredibly low number of people who think they're trans and then actually are like, never mind. Right. Anybody that bothers to read the details or, you know, we had that episode with Dr. Lowe, which was so great. It's a long, complicated process. You're probably getting a lot more information and vetting of the procedure as being right for you than most people are when they have a surgery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like these same people don't have a problem with girls getting nose jobs. It's yeah, just, or here's one. No one's doing anything about how, like, pharmaceutical companies have encouraged the medical establishment to prescribe opioids just like, boop, right? Like, KJ has been prescribed opioids multiple times for his surgeries, and every single time he's like, I mean, it hurts, but, like, I don't think I need that. Yeah. Like, and Republicans aren't doing anything about that. Right. Or now you see, like, all this talk, and I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know how like free doctors are going to be with this, but like everybody's talking about Ozempic having these amazing weight loss results. Like it's this great thing. And I understand that there are people whose weight is a medical issue and maybe that is an appropriate thing for them. But it's like society is just like, oh, that's so great. People could just like take a pill and lose weight. Yeah, well, you know what it is. It's because society looks down on fat people, right? So when you're changing your body to become more what society deems appropriate and acceptable, that's fine. But when it is changing your body based on an identity that is still very heavily marginalized and that people have so much vitriol towards, that is evil and terrible and manipulative. Yeah. It's interesting how determined People seem to be to have a society of people who look and behave exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. So trying to at least find some good that is coming out of this environment that's so harmful in so many ways. This past weekend, I was at an event held by a newer local LGBTQ plus group. And a friend mentioned that maybe a silver lining of this, you know, these recent attacks is an increased urgency in building community. I think that the same could be said for activism, that a lot of people are being reminded that it's really important to support and advocate for one another and that this isn't a this isn't a steady line of progress that's going to continue without work. And sometimes you just need mm -hmm. those jump starts, I think. And it is working according to the Trevor Project's National Survey on Mental Health of LGBTQ young people for 2023. 58% of young people, and that's ages 13 to 24, reported expressing opinions to political officials, participating in protests, or performing community service in their local communities in the past year. So there's a lot of involvement by young people, which is encouraging and important. The dark side of that 
is they also found that civic engagement among LGBTQ young people is associated with higher odds of recent anxiety and suicide attempts. Sometimes I wonder if what people call mental illness is actually just the natural consequence of being aware of the world around you. I have wondered that myself. (laughs) It is an anxiety-inducing place. Like, Yeah. yeah. I'm depressed. I'm depressed because y'all are trying to take away my rights. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Like the more involved young people are becoming, it is taking a toll on their mental health, which is not meant to say that it's a bad thing to be involved. It's just, I think, a reminder that it's stressful and exhausting and brutal work, especially when it feels like it's getting you nowhere. And I think for a lot of people, I know I've I've certainly felt this and seen other people who feel this, it feels like it's not a choice. It feels like something that you have to do. And when you simultaneously have adults around you saying, this is high school or this is college, you should be having fun and like hanging out with your friends and, and living your best life. And you feel like y- you can't do any of that stuff because the world is falling apart around you and you have to try to hold it together. It doesn't feel like it's a choice to spend your time doing something you're passionate about. It feels like something you have to do or you and the people you love are going to suffer. Yeah. I think it's a good reminder for people like me, for other allies to support our LGBTQ friends and family members. And to pick up the baton when they're just exhausted and need a break, that it's not fair. We are a society. And what happens, at least in my view of society, I'm realizing that my view of society is not always consistent with a lot of people's. But in my view of society, like we all suffer if the marginalized among us are suffering because there's a ripple effect If there are too many kids that are stressed out and having mental health crises because they are having to fight these battles and feel like they're the only people fighting these battles or because they're doing active shooter drills or, you know, because they feel hopeless about the environment, any number of things like that affects all of us. And so it's really important. Just a reminder to other parents that this is our work too. And we need to be there to support this community. Both the Trevor Project and Human Rights Campaign have good resources on ways to get involved. One of the things that is important to Sienna and I is that beyond just contacting legislators and participating in protests, it's really important just to talk to people. We're trying to provide facts and talking points so that our listeners are prepared to address misinformation and maybe have some of those heart-to-heart conversations with family members or close friends who see the world a little bit differently. That what you heard on that TV station or that podcast was not what's really happening. And this is hurting people. Because I think most people, I like to think most people, I hope I'm right about this, that most people do want what's best for kids. They've just been manipulated by people who are benefiting from stirring up these issues. And it's not a fight that needs to be fought. And so I, th- I feel like those are the people that I'm always hoping to reach 
And, you know, I think there's a problem as well of it's so easy to say, oh, the problem with kids these days is they're reading the wrong books. We get rid of the books. Boom. Done. And it's it's essentially kind of a placebo almost because people know that there are lots of things wrong with the world and people want to fix the things that are wrong with the world. But sometimes they don't necessarily want to not even want. It's really hard to put in the kind of intellectual and emotional labor required to recognize the things that are really wrong with the world and recognize the solutions that need to be implemented. And it's easier if you can allow yourself to be convinced that, oh, the books are the problem. That's much easier than than really addressing the problems that kids are facing and that society is facing. And I don't think that it's always thin. I don't think it's deliberate. I think people just genuinely, there's a subconscious process going on that allows them to be susceptible to this manipulation. Yeah, I think that's true too. So maybe there's hope, maybe in a Star Wars moment. There's still good in you. I can see it. It's my message to society for today. Hopefully this hasn't been too, too depressing trying to sprinkle in some glimmers of hope. Let us know if you have any specific questions, maybe things that people have said, you know, an interesting episode at some point might be just like common misconceptions and what what the real story is on them. So if you need help with talking points or anything like that, just as far as like, I'm not sure what the answer is when somebody asks me, well, are doctors doing this? We're here to to provide some of that information. All right. So next week, we are returning to some of our fun media episodes that are really just an excuse for us to watch lots of game movies. And uh, so some of you may have seen or heard advertisements for a new movie with Harry Styles, which also, if you've listened to our first episode, you know I have mixed feelings about Harry Styles. But He is in a movie called My Policeman, which is set in the 1950s. So it's a period piece. And with that in mind, we are going to be exploring the ways that media, in particular period pieces, period films, has used queer trauma and used um, the trope of bury your gaze to reinforce queer trauma. And you're going to talk about how my policeman does or doesn't fit into that into that trend all right so we hope everyone has a fun and safe fourth of july and we will catch you next time bye if you found this podcast helpful interesting or just mildly amusing please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice it really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can And as always, check out our website at QueerKidsStraightMom.com or visit us on Facebook, QueerKidsStraightMom, Instagram at QueerKid.StraightMom or Twitter at QueerKidSTR, the number eight, mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon by searching QueerKidsStraightMom. It helps us fund this podcast.